Welcome back to We Are the Batman. I'm Mike. And this is Matthew. And uh, we're here today to talk about Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, which has finally hit uh, the streaming the streaming internet waves, as it were. It's something a project has been in development hell for a very long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I know we, we've talked a little bit about this before the show. We, I think we've got some slightly differing opinions, some things where we're kind of in this on the same boat. Um, am I am I on on uh, on par there, Matt? A, a little bit. I think most of my issue with this show is not directly related to Sandman as it is to binge uh, culture. If that makes okay, any sense. So you're going to be an old fuddy-duddy about it. Gotcha. All right. Very so that's, that's, that's the review, guys. Uh, <laughs> thank you for listening. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, it's fine. Uh, no, it's I, – dude, it's – people People have different feelings about different things based on different reasons. So um, – but I think there's a lot of things we're also going to absolutely agree on as well. So let's, let's give a little background on this show in particular. So The Sandman um, is based on a comic series by Neil Gaiman that was released – um i'm blanking on the timeline i believe it ran from like in the in like the late 80s to early 90s uh yeah 89 to 96 um yes. it tells the story of morpheus aka dream aka the king of dreams aka the sandman i could keep going on he's got like 10 different names and uh his family of eternal uh beings called the endless and just uh, lots lots of adventures and magic and and mythology and world building um this this was in development hell this particular show uh in 2013 uh, david s goyer pitched a film a film adaptation joseph gordon levitt was was attached to it um it's over and over again it's been changed around finally when they announced the show was coming i honestly couldn't give less of a crap because this was a series that i read a couple of issues of maybe 15 years ago and never really finished it. Not because I didn't like it just because I just, I just didn't stick with it. And then, uh, you know, I hear it's coming out and knowing the development hell that it went through, I was just kind of like at this point, freaking finally, I mean, it, just, just get it out and be done with it. If it's taken this long, how bad, how good or how bad could it be? Um, and I found myself overwhelmingly surprised by this one and in, in how much I enjoyed it, it is currently the number one streaming series on Netflix and probably will remain so for a couple of weeks and then Cobra Kai season five starts. So <laughs> let's. Uh, yes. And, and this is this is a DC Vertigo uh, uh, adjacent project uh, in the comics. Several DC characters, including Batman, do make an appearance. Um, not so much in this show. We, we might get into that a little bit later. Um, but overall thoughts, if you could just give us kind of a broad strokes on this, Matt, uh, how did you feel about season one of the Sandman on Netflix? I think it was pretty good. I think it falls prey to a lot of the Netflix shows of, um, like someone said, this show has to be insert number of episodes. So far, like the show, the show has to be 10 episodes. We have eight episodes of story. Make it 10. Shit, okay. <laughs> I, I feel like this could have been a really good, really solid eight-episode show that two or three of these episodes, they stretch to make it 10. Um, but as far as acting, casting, directing, cinematography, the visual of this thing, I can't, I can't knock it in any way, shape, or form. It's fantastic. Especially from somebody who's a combat guy, like what I like is when someone says, I'm going to make a comic book or movie based on a comic and I can see the panels in the movie. And this, this show really did that very, very well. Um, to the point where like, especially like, I know some people get annoyed with like, you switch the, the ethnicity of a character. Mm. So I know that a lot of people originally like had an issue with, uh, them switching death from, quote unquote white to I, I'm sorry she couldn't be an eight year old goth girl pervs. Sorry. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. But but it was like she she was... she's a she's a tiny little goth child. Like I'm sorry you didn't get your big titty goth girlfriend in the show. Yes. But yeah, what but we got was really good. <laughs> it was outstanding. And it, like stuff like that where I'm like sometimes you have to swing for the fences and it pays off and you just blast yeah. out the the score the scoreboard. And that's what I felt like when it came to most of the casting, 
most of the show, I, it's outstanding. Unfortunately, I just think it's not my cup of tea. So I didn't love it, if that makes sense. No, uh, I'm 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 totally with you, man. Yeah, because yeah, there there is there was a particular of of swapped uh, swapped casting that takes place in this show, which at first I was a little like, okay, but you better be going somewhere with this. And then when I found out the reasons why it was switched out, I was like, oh, okay, well that that makes all the sense in the world. Fine, I can live with that. Um, and there were a couple characters that popped up. It, it's it's interesting with this show because they. <sighs> They're, they're kind of playing with their own lore because it's it, the show itself is DC adjacent. Yes. But it also, in a couple of episodes, directly acknowledges that DC Comics and Warner Brothers exist in this world because, like, the kids watching the Justice League cartoon on a TV at one point. Um, so that's probably another reason why certain characters had to be altered because it's like, well, we can't have one and the other. Um and I think that the Sandman, while in the comics, does interact with DC characters. You don't need them to. Like yes. you can, you can one hundred percent tell all these stories and not use Batman and not use any other DC characters that show up. Um, so with that being said, um, I, yeah, I want to I want to talk a little bit about like the production quality because I think that the two things where this show shines the most is a with the overall acting of the cast. I think the cast 99.9% nails it. The, the, the one that I kind of fault is a bit of an excuse is because I think he's like 10 years old um, and child actors are cringeworthy at best <laughs> most of the time. Uh, but also just the overall design of things and the, and the use of CGI in the show, I think was really stellar because episode two is only 37 minutes long. It's the shortest one of the entire show, but it's also the most like CGI heavy episode. And I think that was actually really intelligent because they probably didn't have a huge budget for this show. And they were like, we're going to need a lot of money for the special effects on this episode. So let's just save as much of our special effects budget as we can and make this episode look really good. And I think the CGI in episode two, particularly with the gargoyles, Gerving, for example, who I need a stuffy of right now, um, <laughs> the, C the CGI, you could have told me that was a real gargoyle and I would have believed you. I mean, yes. it, looked, it looked that good. Yes, I, I, it is, again, they made the most of what they had money for across the board. Um, and that's always, I always like that because, you know, you, you're right. Netflix has a lot of money to throw at a lot of things, but sometimes with some of these shows, you can tell they're, they're, they're skimming. And sometimes somebody, people don't know how to stretch it looking at you, Netflix, Marvel. But um, <clears throat> no, I thought that was a very good decision to kind of, like you're saying, you know, build your sets Use CGI when you can, and when you you know use it, use it sparingly, but do it to the best of your abilities. Yeah, and uh, I think they nailed it in that. And like you said, that those that little gargoyle thing was amazing. Just, was just great. Well, even the big one when he's when the guy is they're petting the big one. It reminded me of how in in the Harry Potter movies in in the third one they built they had a CGI hippogriff and they also had a practical hippogriff for them to like sit on and pet. And I'm like, I guarantee they did some some Jurassic Park, Harry Potter level movie magic with using as much practical as they could so that they could go berserk with the CGI when they had to. And, and they, they did great. So the, some of the sweep, the sweeping shots of the dream world were gorgeous. They look mm -hmm. a lot better than anything. The rings of power are doing from those couple of trailers, <laughs> not looking forward to watching that, but I'm totally going to watch it. Um, with uh, with with this one, and then also with again the the acting. I mean, I mean, first of all, you're getting you're getting class act actors like uh, like David Thewlis, Gwendolyn Christie, Jenna Coleman, Tom Sturridge in this thing, um, but also a lot of lesser knowns, a lot of maybe first timers, and I feel like just the the directors who handled these episodes, whether it was uh, Jamie Childs, um, Mike Barker, Andres. Andres Baez, I'm pronouncing this name incorrectly. There's a bunch of different actors. Whoever was directing these episodes really knew how to work. And I know Neil Gaiman was also heavily involved uh, as an EP with the show. They really got the best possible acting out of their characters, out of their actors as they could. Yes, definitely. And even with, um, like, it's kind of hard because Death is, 
he doesn't do much as far as like emotional range. You mean dream? What did I say? You said death. I got to get dream. Yes. Dream or more or Morpheus or Morbius or whatever the 80 different names. And yeah. um, I, I kind of started making this joke of like any like I was like, no, anytime I was like, I'm going to be dream. And I would just sit there and stare at somebody. And then they would ask me a question. I would just stare and then take like a minute and then start talking. And my wife was like, he's not like that. Stop doing that. But um, it was <laughs> <laughs> but it was even in these moments where he had to be silent, and he had to be acting like. I don't know how much acting you've done and I can't say what I've done is acting, but I've been in movies and that stuff is not easy to do that. Showing your thinking or observing without it, just looking dead is difficult. And at first I was like, what is this guy doing? And then the, the, as each episode went on, I was like, no, this guy's, this guy is nailing this performance. And it's just one of those, I, I like an actor who can do something out of nothing you know, anybody yeah. can talk, anybody can regurgitate lines, but to just observe or to think and see that on his face, I thought was outstanding. I, I put him up there with people like like Ryan Gosling or Robert Pattinson, who I always talk about how are great or are really good at acting with their eyes. You know, you can or even Millie Bobby Brown to use an even an even uh, more more recent uh, example, especially in the earlier seasons of, of Stranger Things. She has maybe two lines of dialogue that are like three lot three words long uh in an episode and um but and you know ryan gosling and stuff like like first man or, or blade run 2049 to, to convey everything you're thinking and feeling without saying a single word is, is something i hold in very high regard for an actor and and uh, yeah tom sturridge as as dream in this doesn't have to say a damn thing and I know everything that's going through his head, his frustrations or his amusements or, or what have you. But so that when he does open his mouth and does say something, you are hanging on every word. Yes. And, and, and of course, like we said earlier, a girl who played death. I mean, um, yeah, get it, get her a show now. Yeah. Cur- Kirby Howell Baptiste as, as death. Um, yes. Cause I know death got her own spinoff comic. Yes. Give give her a spin-off series. Like let yeah. her adapt the death comics. Um that I I think that episode might be my favorite of the season. Um between yeah. yes. the, between the death storyline and uh the the Hob Gadling storyline of the guy who never dies in the same episode, that might be my favorite episode of the season. <laughs> It, it definitely, most definitely. And I, I think the only true crime, well, I don't say only true, but one of the biggest crimes I feel like this show committed is, uh, I think, um, not Destiny. What was his name? What was his, he, they, they named the, the villain. Oh, that was Desire. Only Desire. Desire yeah. should have been in every single episode. Every oh. single episode. <laughs> Does not have a lot of screen time. I was enamored with Desire the moment they walked on screen. I was like, I need to know everything about this person now. Like, just just now. Make the rest of the show about them. And I really, I mean, again, this is the number one streaming show on Netflix right now. If this doesn't get a season two, I, I will be shooketh to my core because <laughs> I want to see more of Desire and I want to see what, crazy evil shit they have cooked up yes yes and and just to to, the fact that the plan was to knock up a human so that they would have a a eventual descendant that would be a vortex so that dream would kill the vortex and then cause this gigantic you know universe shattering event is just one of those like that's a lot of thought but you know what that is that that kind of that kind of elaborate planning is so quintessential neil gaiman alan moore storytelling yes like that, like, like we uh the the hellblazer dangerous habits the plan that john comes up with to pull a fast one on the devil to trick him into curing his cancer it's like that is some elaborate planning that even batman would be like dude get a life but it's so compelling and yeah like i want to see what else desire has cooked up because this cannot be 
the end of the plan. No. I mean, and also it could be one of eight plans because, you know, that's about eight seconds of work. And then after that, you just let that thing cook for however long. <laughs> Things- Let, let's have Desire and Batman just like get together for lunch and compare notes and laugh like, oh, my God, do you have any idea how many plans I have for him? Dude, dude, I have so many plans. So yeah. many plans. <laughs> like, yeah. I've got a whole folder on my computer. I yeah. Um all over, like I said, the, the only real acting I really had a problem with was was Eddie uh, Caranja, who played Jed, the, the uh, Rose's younger brother. But again, we're talking about a 10 year old. So child actors already. I'm just kind of like, eh. but it's not their fault for being 10 and not having yeah. a lot of depth. Uh, but if, which I think is because he did. They don't use him a whole heck of a lot, which is which is fine. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about uh like aside from tom sturridge's dream we've talked about kirby howell baptista's death mason alexander parker's desire were there any other characters that really uh jumped out at you as just when you're watching it like damn they're good you know i i really wanted to like the corinthian and i you think he, he was he was he wasn't horrible but i i i it just it, trying to think about he did a really good job but i felt like mate i'm trying to think about how to say this and not knock the dude too much like did you just go like i don't want to do another round of casting or or another call let this guy's got it this guy's got it enough that it works i just kind of feel like there could like there there had to have been another actor that had a little more something but at the same time, like that's I think that's a little nitpicky as far as that's concerned. But I, I thought I just needed he was at he was at eight or nine and I needed eleven. And that was my 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 thing. I just kind of felt okay. like it was it wasn't it wasn't there enough. He had you some said, nice moments. Your problem wasn't that you thought he went overboard. You were like you wanted him to go more overboard. I just wanted more charisma out of him to buy that people were instantaneously following him. So what I, what I think this, and I, and I said this about, I watched this movie X recently, and I kind of said the same thing about one of the actors in that is he's giving me very strong, like great value brand, Matthew McConaughey vibes. Like, cause is Boyd Holbrook, who was, who was one of the bad guys in Logan. And it, it almost felt like, like we want to get Matthew McConaughey as a comic book villain, but we can't afford Matthew McConaughey. So just do a Matthew McConaughey as a comic book villain impression, um, which I think worked for me because the Corinthian, as, as considering that he's just supposed to be this um, hedonistic nightmare, um, yeah. I think was was fine for me because it's not a particularly deep character, at least not the way it was presented. Um, but I didn't need him to be. Yeah, I think it, this is one of those times like and, and some it, I think it might be like the writer in me at times is like, I watch him in this show and I'm like, the script said he's charming. So everybody thinks he's charming and that's why they go along. It's not that he's actually charming. Does that make sense? It's the shades. It's got, it's gotta be the shades. Some of it's the shades. <laughs> I would have liked to see the mouth eyes more. I, I, I didn't need, I need to see it more than twice, but that's just me. So but, I, I, I think that plays into the whole like, look, we got it. We have just enough CGI to do this episode, guys. So like, we can do one shot without the glasses, but then we got to, but then we got to pull it back. Well, and it also makes me, it kind of cracks me up because it makes me think of um, back when James Marsden was Cyclops in the original X Men, and he had this this interview where he was talking about how on the day he would be doing something, and Brian Singer was like, "Can't you do it like yeah you did yesterday?" And he goes, "Oh, you mean like this?" And he would take his sunglasses off and do the scene. And Brian Singer was like, ah, okay. And it was because, like we were saying earlier, is you acting with your eyes as well? Well, if you're in sunglasses the whole time and you're not trying to be, you know, Neo, it doesn't work. So he was talking about how that, yeah, there were several times that Brian Singer was like, I need you to do this. He's like, yeah, I am, but I'm wearing sunglasses. That's, so that, that's, actually, that's a fair point to bring up. Yeah, because... I mean, you do. We do convey a lot of emotion with our with our eyes, and so when you take those away, you've really got to go the extra mile with everything else. That's a, that's that's actually a very good point. So that 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 me what it is, but no. I, I as far as other performances, um, you know, for the first five or 
10 minutes of, uh, what's his name is Matthew, the Raven. Oh, um, um, Patton Oswalt. Yeah. I was like, not Patton Oswalt again. But then like, as it went on, I was like, no, it's perfect. (laughs) It's the the way I described it to a friend of mine was, um, this is Patton Oswalt is there to be us. He's there to be the audience. He's the, he's there to be that, that guy who hears what dreams plan is and just goes, wait, that's your, that's what you, uh, all right. Yeah. All right, fine. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he was just there to just be like, uh, <laughs> fine, you know, God, Dad, you're so embarrassing. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, but also you got, I mean, Patton Oswalt's up there with like Kevin Smith is just being one of the one of the kings of nerds. So yes, I'm sure he. We're like, hey, do you want to be in this? And I'm sure he like said no before they finished asking him. Um, yeah. Which is fine. Also, we'll also mean Mark Hamill uh, pops up at one point. Yes, yes. I it's I spent about <laughs> yeah. I spent about ten seconds going like, is that Mark Hamill or somebody doing a Mark Hamill impression? And then it was like, <laughs> why would somebody do a Mark Hamill impression? <laughs> why would Why would you get someone to pretend to be Mark Hamill if you just ask him? He'll probably say yes. <laughs> yeah. it, like Mark Hamill doesn't strike me as the guy who turns down a lot of roles, particularly comic book roles, because he's such a geek. It's like, I bet if you ask him, he would do it for a steak dinner and a Charms Blow Pop. Like, I don't think you'd have to actually offer him any money. He would just do it. Yes, yes. Definitely. <laughs> S- um, side Sidebar for after the show, ask me a question about that. Oh, good Lord. Okay. Um, a couple of standout. We, we talked about episode six being kind of our favorite, just this very, uh, a lighthearted take on, on, on the concept of death and everything. The, the Hob Gadling story arc, um, the couple to two, two moments, two, three or three, rather three characters in particular and their episodes. I want to talk about, Go. um, to get, to get the really depressing one out of the way. Um, let's, <laughs> Let's let's talk about David Thewlis as John D and and that absolute just 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 shower need the need to take a shower inducing episode that was episode five in the diner Um, because I when that episode was over, I was just like, I feel gross and I need to take a shower and I will never be clean again because good lord <laughs> yes, that, that is one of those episodes. It's, there's been a couple movies I've watched in the past where I'm like. This movie is so good, but I'll never watch it again. Um, yeah. Just how, like, um, it kind of got, you know what it made me think about was um, you're never, you're not really here, or we were never really here, the one with um, Joachim Phoenix. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or it's like, no, this is intense. This is, this is amazing filmmaking. I don't ever want to witness this again. And, um, yeah. So that that was my my thing with that particular one. I you know we talked about some stuff that I, I kind of took issue with, um, which you know we don't really need to get into, um, at, I mean, at speak, length. Speak, speak your truth, man. I mean, you're, well, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go off of the super rant, but my thing is like, if the story's strong, we don't need to to add sex every single time. And I think that Netflix is very bad about. And this is what I kind of said at the top is like. Some of the problems I have with this show are not about this show. It's about what Netflix does with its content. And, you know, to read the original, because I think this watching the show, all I made me do is like, I need to read the comic and see if it's Netflix or if this is what the comic is. And of course, as I read the comic, like, no, it's what Netflix does. And Netflix just seems to have this heavy handed, like, hey, let's put tons of sex. That's not necessary, but we have to have it in the story or, you know. I'm not against homosexuality, but I feel like, you know, they're definitely pushing that whole agenda across the board with all their content. And it, I don't say it bothers me, but it's just one of those times of like, okay, Netflix, let's, let's reel it back just a teeny little bit. Like I get it. I'm not saying there aren't homosexuals everywhere, but I don't know. That was my only kind of like, like the, the Corinthian is gay. I get it. I don't need to see him make out with more than one person in this entire show. Um, but that was only, that was kind of my weird thing about it. But like I said, they, they've done that with a lot of their cartoons. They've done that with a majority of the TV shows that they have. You know, I think I said before, it's like, you know, like uh, Longmire. 
Like they, once they got that show, suddenly there were sex scenes in the show. So that was my only thing. I think with the level of filmmaking you had in that fifth episode, I didn't need to see as much sex as I saw in that particular episode. I could have done without it and gotten the same thing out of it. But that's just me. I know that I'm a little more sensitive to that than most people like you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's that's one of those things that, that doesn't bother me in the slightest to the point where I just I don't notice it. So, because we we kind of went back and forth on that, where I was like, he keeps saying there's a ton of sex in this show. I don't remember there being that much, but again, I don't notice because it doesn't bother me. I I think the reason they really played that card heavily with with Corinthian goes back to what I I said earlier, where he is such a hedonist, like he's he's a nightmare. He yeah. doesn't have a moral compass. He's gonna do what he wants when he wants just just to do it even if he doesn't really want to do it, he's going to do it just to do it and so i think for him it was more of a here's this person that i can tell is attracted to me and so just because i can i'm gonna and i think it was just to kind of play into that idea that like he has been living it up for over a hundred years on earth just doing whatever he wants and so i think that's I think it plays into the character more than you think, but because that's also something that you're just not like, like uh, an abundance of sexuality uh, of, of sexual activity or whatever being in a show or a movie, is just kind of not your thing to begin with. I can see why it would be off putting. Yeah. It was just, you know, again, and I go to that whole, like, you know, it's not just a show. Like I can remember watching the theatrical cut of daredevil and being like, BS, he would not bang her. He'd go save that person. <laughs> and then to watch well, the director's cut where he doesn't bang her and he goes to save that person. Like, see, yeah. I was right. They're wrong. <laughs> was, you're, you're talking about a comic book movie in the early 2000s. Those are the gold standard for how not to tell a story, my friend. <laughs> um, but that, yeah, that that diner episode is, it's it's just, yeah. Um, the uh, next one I want to get to yeah, it, is. That's one of those, I can't knock the filmmaking. Like, yeah, no, again, like, as a filmmaker watching that and just going like, yeah, it is outstanding. You just get to the point where you're like, I don't want to watch this. I know it's happening. It's 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 dark. It's it's excuse my language, but it is fucked up on every on every level. I'm glad I watched it. I enjoyed the the film, the the the, the uh, artisanship of it. I never need to watch that again, though, because a I'm never going to forget it. And uh, a B, it just it is unpleasant and it's supposed to be unpleasant. Yeah. And it does its job. Well, um, the next one I want to get into is I want to talk about Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer Morningstar, because when this casting was announced, I was like, OK, uh, uh, all right, you you have my attention. Um, I was really interested to see how because I know originally they considered getting Tom Ellis from the Lucifer TV show. Um, but ultimately, because they were trying to have the separation between the show and the DC comic stuff, I get why they didn't. Also, I don't feel like he would have worked in this show the way it turned out. So it works. I think the way they did it works fine. What did you think of Gwendolyn Christie from Game of Thrones as as uh, Lucifer Morningstar? I thought she was fine. I, I have no. No praise, no detraction, if that makes sense. She's, like, just, not- she's just there. She, 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 I think she did it. I think ever since the Constantine movie, there's been this thing of like, let's make Lucifer a girl or a woman or played by a woman. And I was like, cool. Like, I it's think Constantine movie that was, it was Peter Stormare. Oh, I'm sorry. Gabriel. That was Gabriel. So Gabriel turning, yeah. turning these angels into females. <laughs> sorry. Well, getting, but getting my evil know. angels mixed up. <laughs> You get Tilda Swinton, who I understand is a woman, but she she does androgynous better than David Bowie. Um, yes, so you could you could roll that that Gabriel as male or female, however you want, and and I'd believe you. Um, I was about to say, Peter Stormare plays the devil, and he's awesome. dude. Nobody's beat, beaten Vigo Mortensen and and the prophecy as far as the devil's concerned. That's just my, yeah, well, my well, take. That's another that's another podcast. Um, but I, <laughs> I, the thing about Lucifer's episode, I loved the battle of metaphors. Yes, the battle of metaphors, and I love that they had Gwendolyn Christie start with a direwolf, and I was like, you 
you motherfucker that you did that on purpose and you know what <laughs> you know what respect you, you you saw your opportunity you shot your shot respect <laughs> yeah i think my i w- this is one of those times where i wish i had jumped on the show earlier because that whole thing was ruined for me through a meme oh no and the meme was like the sickest burn this year and it's him revealing his his final card or his final oh. thing and i was like God, and literally, I'm not even kidding. It was literally like the day before I watched the episode. Oh, that breaks my heart. I was just like, because that was something from the comic I didn't remember because I don't think I read that particular issue because I've read bits and pieces of it. But that was my only like, God. So once that started, I was like, I wish I didn't know how this ended. I really do. I hate that you had that spoiled for you. Yeah, that was that was. That's only like three times that ever that Twitter has ruined something that bad. And I was just like, ah, man, <laughs> just, mm, damn you, Twitter. Um, yep. But the, now the last one I want to talk about, because this this was this was one for me that had me kind of sitting on the edge of my seat going, OK, OK, show. Impress me because you're you're playing with fire. And that was Jenna Coleman playing Joanna Constantine. Um I want to hear your thoughts first because I think I have a little bit more to say about this than you do. Um, but how, how, what, just how did you feel about Jenna, Con- uh, Jenna Coleman playing John Constantine and the episode she was in overall? I thought it was really cool. I like like the thing I like about this episode is something that is so rare with protagonists of like like that was really messed up. What Dream did to him. Or did to her to, to create a dream for her. Who's I'm horrible person. I broke up this person and then to play a gambit against her to kind of lull her into this situation. I just thought that was cool as all get out because now you've got like, for lack of a better term, who can out dickhead each other. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And it was just like, now you get, I think that's a perfect setup to then come back to the other way of him calling Hob his friend. Oh, you're, you're thinking of the death episode. No, 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 no. What I'm talking about is. Oh, oh, past Joanna Constance. Gotcha. I'm on board. Okay. I got so it. So that okay. like you see him being this cruel ish to Constantine, but then to later on admit to being friends with somebody. Yeah. I just think was really it's a it's a cool story arc for him, but it is it is a very it was a very cool episode. I did spend about two seconds going, Johanna Constantine. Oh, they can't get the rights to John Constantine. All right, yeah. I'm on board now. So I I had I had to do some googling. So so here's where I'm going to go on my spiel a little bit. So Constantine, I know we do a Batman podcast because because Batman's my number one. Batman's more my letter A, and Constantine is my number one. Like Batman to me is S tier. He, he he. So whenever people say who my favorite comic book character is, I'm like, other than Batman, it's John Constantine. I I I am I am one of the people who I have the all four issues of of the Trench Coat Brigade. I have collected Hellblazer and Constantine comics and Justice League Dark all my life. I love this character. I think and and so I'm very protective of this character i really like the john the, the keanu reeves movie i think it's very good i think it gets a lot more hate than it deserves i Correct. think matt, i think matt ryan as live action john constantine on the cw and nbc briefly was god tier casting that is that is patrick stewart as professor x that is robert Downey jr as iron man that is chris evans as captain america like you could not have picked a better person to play this character and i'm so glad that he has gotten to voice that character in several animated iterations including a minute and a half cameo on the most recent episode of harley quinn and it was fantastic i love john constantine so when they said that, and yes, we are saying Constantine because we're Americans. That's how we say it in America. I know there's been a long-standing thing, like no, it's pronounced Constantine. I get it. I've been saying it one way my entire life. I'm not about to change. I know it's. I, I get it. It's fine. Um. So when and I didn't know they were doing 
Joanna Constantine in this show. So they're like, oh, it was sold to someone named Joanna Constantine. And I, I paused. I was like, I'm sorry. It was sold to who? <laughs> it was sold to. And I sat up in my seat and I was like, y'all better make sense of this real fucking quick because I'm about to throw some shit because you're telling me I had the opportunity to have John Constantine in this show and I'm not getting it then it better be then a you better have a damn good reason why and b whatever you're doing better rock yeah. now through my own googling now i will say joanna constantine does exist in the sandman comics as john's ancestor so that part was spot on especially in episode six where where jenna coleman comes down as joanna constantine it's like okay yeah she act th th this is straight out of the comics as is um they did they, they kind of doctor hooted a little bit but i'll get into that in a sec um so the reason they did what they did is because technically the rights to john constantine are owned by hbo max and that they have been developing a new Constantine series for HBO Max for about a year now. That's why they couldn't do it in the show. Okay, fine. I, I can live with that. <laughs> I can want I because because at that point, y'all didn't have a choice. And you're not about to do Sandman without without some version of Constantine. Yeah. I just figured they weren't gonna do it this season. I I hadn't heard anything. So when I heard they were doing it. And so, so in the episode, when they say, this is how we're doing it, I was like, okay, impress me. Um, now I love, and I didn't know Jenna Coleman was in the show. Now I love Jenna Coleman. I loved her on Dr. Who. She was one of my favorite, uh, uh, companions on Dr. Who. She was great with, 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 uh, with Matt, uh, Matt Smith. And she was great with Peter Capaldi. Um, and what's funny about that is, on Doctor Who, her character of Clara, all of her ancestors have all had the same name and it all looked identical. And that's basically what they did with Joanna Constantine on this show. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Similar to the Gwendolyn Christie Direwolf, you guys saw your opportunity and you shot your shot and respect. I see yeah. what you did there. Damn it. If that's not good writing now, it's just John Constantine, but a woman, I will say that yes. the character, the background was because as soon as she's like Astra, I was like, okay, so we're not even trying to make this a different character. This is yeah. the same character. Okay. That's fine. But <laughs> comma, but, Jenna Coleman's got to nail that John Constantine snark. She yeah. has got to be. She has got she because John Constantine is famously a sassy bitch. So I need Jenna Coleman to like like I know John Constantine does magic. His superpower is how much of a sassy bitch he is. Yeah. So I need Jenna Coleman to be such a sassy bitch that it's a superpower. And you know what, Matthew? She nailed it. Yes, definitely. She, they nailed this interpretation of Constantine, Joanna Constantine, so good that I'm actually really, really, really mad she wasn't in more episodes. Correct. Yes. Um, I I know that we're, they were trying to be as faithful an adaptation as they could, so it made sense why she didn't come back. But God damn it, I loved what I got, and I want more. So to that, I will say, kudos to you, Netflix the Sandman, <laughs> because y'all managed to keep me on your side with this one, and that is, that is an impressive feat in and of itself, because this could have gone, the, the, the way they did Constantine, could have gone sideways so fast. Yes, very much so. Because, like, this is, like, I'm glad Netflix is trying to do their own thing with this. And they've definitely got to separate everything from 
because I mean, they technically own Lucifer. They could have easily gotten Tom Ellis and what's her name to come back as Mazakine and and all yeah. of that. And I think it's good that they did. And I'm I'm at the point now where if you do a procedural and streamline your episode count, give me a Johanna Constantine show. Yeah, I'll follow her fighting demons. Hell, have her and Death team up for some inexplicable reason that will be explained in the pilot. And let's watch this show. Yeah, I'm into it. And I know, I know HBO Max is doing their own Constantine thing and I will watch that too. The same, the same way that I am more than willing to watch both a Robert Pattinson Batman and a Ben Affleck Batman. I am more than willing to watch both. I'm not an idiot. I can differentiate between the two. Yeah. So if you give me a John Constantine Hellblazer on HBO Max and Joanna Constantine on Netflix, that just means more Constantine goodness for me, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, please, all all the Constantine. That's fine. Yeah, I I never don't need more of him in in anything. Um, I I am enamored with this show. I, I we've been ta- we've been going on about it for forty minutes now. Um, I I love this show. It's definitely in my top three favorite series of the year. Um. I think I think the Orville is still sitting at number one just because of what that did for me emotionally. This one, I think, is more of like it was such a surprise how much I loved this show and how much it just it for something that I had basically no knowledge of going in other than just I knew that it existed. um, Man, this thing really it, it had a job to do and damn it, it did the damn thing. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's good. It like I said, at the yeah, it's just not my cup of tea. I can't sit here and say I loved it, but I can say I could definitely appreciate what they did. Uh, if this was my thing, I would have. I'm sure I would have loved it as much as you did. <laughs> yeah, no, like I and I, I was I was doing a review of the show with someone else on another on on another channel as well. <gasps> I, what? I, no. <laughs> I'm a I'm a busy boy, um, and. Uh, but and we were we were both agreeing like this is not for everyone. If you're already a Sandman fan, it's for you. If you're a general comic book fan, it's probably for you. If you're someone who likes your storytelling a lot more linear and a lot more to the point, it probably isn't going to be your bag. Yeah. Um, because the first, I'd say first four to five episodes are just establishing the world we live in. And it's not until the end of episode five and then going forward from there that we really get into what the show is meant to be about it, which if anything, just evokes the comics even more because in the comics, Morpheus is a supporting role in his own series. Yeah. He kind of just exists in the corner at a he he he's standing in the corner talking to a plant at a party he's throwing in his own house is, yeah. is the best metaphor I can use here. And to take that and translate that as well as they did, not only does that story structure go in line with the comics, but it does a great job of letting us know the world we live in without having to kind of figure it out as we go, which is no, we're gonna take our time. Here's the world. Okay, now you know the world we're in. Now let's do some stuff with these characters. Yeah, I I, I think my biggest thing is it, I just feel like it could have been a little more concise. Like, I think you could have knocked one or two ep- because I think the last three or four episodes are basically one long story. And I, I, think, part correctly. The, I, I think part of the reason, because, yeah, the last four episodes are the main meat of what's going on with everything. I think the reason they did it like that is because like I mentioned earlier, like they had a very limited budget with this thing. You can tell because episode two is such an effects heavy episode and, and they used every dime of that. Like, again, I don't know who handled the check writing on this show, but good for you for knowing when to write the checks. Cause yeah, like, like the, the, who, if there was an, if there was an Emmy for best budgeting on a show, you would get it. Um, because that episode is only 37 minutes long. Yeah. So I feel like part of the reason why they did it in 10 when it could have been eight was because 
because episode two isn't really there to further any kind of plot. It's just there to answer a few more questions about the world we live in and set up the plot. Episode two is there to set up what the plot's going to be. So I think that's part of the reason why is because there, because like, again, this was originally supposed to be a movie. Yes. Which I don't think this would have worked as a movie. Personally, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you could have told this this story in, not a, in the a entire thing. Not no, the entire, I mean, uh, you could have done those him regaining his powers by the end as a movie. That yes, this this the whole story of this season. No, yeah, not the whole. But, and that that's where that's where my thing. And it's again, this is not just this is not me attacking Sandman. This is me attacking. Netflix or binge kind of stuff of like, you know, cause it's even Disney plus has done it with some of their Marvel things of like, I would have liked to have seen uh, Sam Wilson become captain America in a movie, a really cool, concise two, two and a half hour movie, six hours of content. Uh, it was fun, but I, I, you could have, you could have streamed that down. You, you, cause I think what happens is, take the other Captain America out of that show and just make it about Falcon going against the flag smashers. And he becomes Captain America through that process. Really cool. Two hour movie, two and a half hour movie, really drawn out six episodes. I just like that. That's where I think this for me, like give me, give me a good solid concise two hour movie or two and a half hour movie or six episode season ends with the Corinthians saying like, Oh wow, he forgot about me. And now my second season is the Corinthian. Cool. Let, let me do that. That, that is where I kind of, for me personally, this show, the latter half, I, I, I check out like I, I, and I think part of it is because I'm not into the Corinthian as far as, as, far as, as a villain. So I just get to the point where I'm like, yeah, uh, Oh man, all four of these episodes are an hour long. <laughs> well, and I, th- I think that's, um, I think that's also a thing. Like I, I mentioned this when I was when we were reviewing not us we but the other channel Mon we we were talking yeah. about uh, Jurassic World Dominion, which is the biggest problem a lot of people had with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom was the stuff with Maisie and her being a clone and and everyone's like ah that's too weird even for Jurassic for Jurassic Park. With Jurassic World Dominion, like that is the crux of the plot. And so if you're not on board with that going in, you're not going to be on board with the movie. And so with this show, yeah, if you're not on board with the Corinthian, you're not going to be on board with the last four episodes of the season. Yeah. And I think and that's where where I'm that's my camp. Which again, not everything is going to be for everybody. And yeah, like I said, it it did one. I loved it. But if you but if you're someone like Matt, if it's not your bag, if you're not on board with it. Is then then you're not going to like the last chunk of the episodes because no, they're kind of all about him. So and, and honestly, what I would say is this: that doesn't mean the show sucks. Yeah, like I think there's a, a this weird thing nowadays of like I didn't like that movie, so it sucks. No, oh, it just I agree. Means you didn't like that movie, or the movie wasn't for you. You yeah. know, there's a difference between saying you don't like something and something being bad, and in today's culture i do feel like that's thing where everyone equates their own feelings with reality i don't like this thing therefore it's bad look i don't like pickles i am i am famously on board of this i make no bones about i think pickles are one of the worst food items to exist on the face of the earth that doesn't mean they're disgusting they just don't click with my taste buds yeah so entertainment's the same way it's not necessarily objective and so there are certain things that aren't going to click with a person's taste that's why i said earlier like if you like a more straightforward direct linear form of storytelling this probably won't be your thing there's time jumps there's ethereal cerebral moments there's stuff that's so metaphorical it might take you a second to understand what's going on if that's not your thing, don't watch the show. 
or like with the Batman, if you don't like long procedural mystery detective stories and you just want a superhero action flick, don't watch the Batman. It's not yeah. going to be your thing. And so, yeah, with, with this, and it's, but it's like you said, just because it's not your thing doesn't mean that it's bad. And you've, you have gone on the record several times on this show, complimenting it for its production, for its, for the acting, for the casting. There is a lot of good in this show, but yes, there are certain elements of the storytelling that if you're not on with it, you're not going to be, you're not going to enjoy yourself. Yeah. And as dumb as it sounds, they do a second season. I'll probably watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I won't watch it with my wife, but I'll probably no. watch it. <laughs> no, no. I, I, you know, I almost, I almost wonder if you would have enjoyed it more if you'd watch this on your own. Cause, cause I know this kind of thing. I know this kind of show really is not her thing. Not at all. Not like not, not even a little bit. So I almost wonder if you'd watched it on your own, if you would have felt the same way. Like not that I'm saying your wife controls how you feel because we all know she's not. Because we know she obviously does. That's part of being married. But you sacrifice your opinions for each other. I'm kidding, of course. But but I do. But I have. But it's it's kind of like like when you watch a comedy. If you watch it by yourself, you know it's funny, but you might not laugh out loud. Versus yeah. watching a comedy with other people. I wonder if her not being into it made you look at it a different way. No, honestly, she's the one at the beginning that kept going like, "No, let's keep going." And then it wasn't until episode five with the diner that she Oof. checked out. And but I, I have a feeling that episode made a lot of people check out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and again, not because it's bad, just because it's a lot. It's a lot, <laughs> it's, a lot. It's a lot, a lot. But um, listen, we've talked about this for over an hour now, and it's one of those shows. But I think that's kind of the beauty of this show is because there is so much to talk about. And it elicits a lot of emotions and a lot of thoughts and feelings. So we want to know what yours are. Uh, you guys can let us know what you think by hitting us up on Twitter. The Twitter for the show is at We Are the Batman. You can also go into the description of this episode. And I, I've, I've done a new thing where I've created a link to a Google form. It's going to be on every episode going forward. You guys can go to this Google form and you can leave us your comments. You can leave us your questions, your criticisms. If you have ideas for other things you want us to cover. So let us know what you thought of, of, of the show on that Google form as well. And you can also find me on Twitter at Mr. Mike Shea. And you can find me at Mr. J Ninja. We look forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we will see you again next time with another episode. Same bat time, same bat podcast channel. See you next time.